Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Like Drake said, my name is Billy, and I'm just so excited that you guys are here, that you took some time out of your Sunday morning to join us, whether you're joining us in person or online. Just so, so grateful that you decided to trust us with a little bit of your time this morning. So thank you. And another thing that we always make a point to say here at City Church is no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, this is a place where you're loved and you're safe and you're welcome, no matter where you're walking in. And our desire as a church is really simple, just to meet you where you're at and to help you take your next step wherever you're at on that journey today. So like Drake said, this is my first time speaking here at City Church and I'm super excited about it, but just so that I'm not a stranger in the room, I'm gonna share a little bit about who I am, how I got here, a little bit about my story. Um, But I'm gonna do that in a few minutes and before I do that, I just wanna kinda give a little bit of a a framework for what we're gonna be talking about this morning. So with that in mind, I'd just like to start our time off with a question. Do you believe that your life has a purpose? Whether you believe in God or not, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, do you believe that your life has a purpose? And if you do believe that, where does your purpose come from? Is it something that comes from inside of you that you get to pick for yourself? Or is it something that comes from outside of you? Maybe society gives you your purpose, maybe your parents give you your purpose, or maybe even God gives you your purpose, right? I know for myself, one of the lowest moments of my life One of the emptiest moments of my life is where I felt like I had no purpose at all. And I'm going to share that with you guys as well in a few moments here. But I thought it would be helpful as well to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of um, research, I guess you could say, on, on what research has been done on this topic as far as like psychology and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and so I found a study that was done um, at Harvard a few years ago. And here's, here's what it, what it says says people without a strong life purpose were more than twice as likely to die during the study years compared with those who had one. This association between a low level of purpose and life and death remained true despite how rich or poor participants were and regardless of gender, race, or education level. The researchers also found the association to be so powerful that having a life purpose appeared to be more important for decreasing, decreasing risk of death than drinking, smoking, or even exercising regularly. So that's a pretty strong correlation, right? And so, like I said, for myself, for my own story, one of the uh, times in my life where I felt like I I was at my lowest point was a point where I felt like I had no purpose. And that moment came for me during my freshman year of college. And so up to that point, I'd just been rolling with a purpose that I had made for myself. And it was really just two things, right? It was be a good runner and be a good student. And that worked really well for me until it didn't. (laughs) And so uh, basically, I got to my freshman year of college and I spent the entire summer before that just running, just the whole summer just running. Because when I got to college, I was told that I'd be able to try out for the cross country team to try and have a chance to walk onto the team. So I spent the whole summer running. 
I get there, I meet with the coach, and he says, ooh, sorry, we actually over-recruited the team this year. There aren't any slots, no tryouts. Sorry, come back next year. <laughs> so right at that moment, that part of my purpose was taken away from me. But at the same time, you know, I like to think I was a good runner. I was never going to go to the Olympics. It was never that good, right? So I was like, okay, I'm really going to focus on what matters right now, which is my grades, right? So I doubled down on that. I, I spent tons of time in the library, hit the books real hard, did all that kind of stuff, right? I get to my first round of exams about halfway through the semester, and I take my exams, and my grades aren't very good either. Now, granted, I went to Cornell. It was a really high-pressure environment, really stressful, but still, my grades were not good, right? And so I felt like that part of my identity was taken away from me, and I actually I have this vivid memory of after one of these exams, I, I went outside just into the quad um, outside where I took the exam, and I just took my backpack off and threw it on the ground, and I just, just kicked it for like 100 yards just across the entire quad. I just kicked it because I felt like, well, why did I even study? There was no point. I just did terrible, right? And it was in that place of feeling like I had no purpose, feeling like totally empty, totally worthless, honestly, that, that God met me. And he met me through some of my friends who were um, followers of Jesus at, uh, at Cornell, one of whom is here today. <laughs> and um, basically what they shared with me in that space was uh, the, the love of God in both word and deed. And so they shared it with me in deed just by listening to me, just by being there for me when I didn't really have anybody else that I could go to. And they shared it with me in word by sharing that even though I felt like my life had no purpose, that actually God said that there was a purpose for my life and that I could have a purpose for my life. And that purpose was actually really simple. It was simply just to know God and to live my life in a relationship with him. And they made a really bold claim. They told me that until I found my purpose in God, until I had that, that no other purpose that I could create for myself would be able to satisfy me. Now, obviously, that's a pretty bold claim, and guess what? I didn't believe them. I said, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> and uh, basically, the rest of that semester, we were friends, but I didn't really pursue it anymore. I went home for winter break that semester, and they challenged me. They challenged me to read the uh, first um, book of the New Testament in the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew. So I took them up on it, right, because I was home for winter break. I didn't have anything else to do. So I started reading it, and when I got to chapter 10 of Matthew, verse 39, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, he who finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that spoke to me in such a powerful way. I can, I can hardly explain it, honestly, other than, than God speaking to me. And I could just see in that moment when I read that so clearly that I had been trying to find my life in running, in grades, in, in anything, right? And that it wasn't delivering on what it promised at all but I could see that if I trusted Jesus, that I would be able to find life. And it's funny because I had no reason to believe that, right? But I, I just did, I believed it in that moment and it, it totally changed my life from that moment forward. And so there are a lot more twists and turns in my story than that about how I got to Colorado and stuff, but that's just kind of a short summary to help you guys get to know me as I'm, I'm speaking up here today. Another reason that I share my story is because chapter two of Nehemiah, which we're gonna be going through today, has a lot to do with purpose. And so I just wanted to share my story because that's how God helped me find my purpose. 
And so like Drake said, if you guys are here, I encourage you, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can pull up Nehemiah chapter two on your phone, pull out the scripture journals. I think having the uh, text in front of you this morning is gonna be something that's just really helpful as we're going through. And also, like Drake said, it is a little bit odd kind of going out of order here with, you know, last week doing Nehemiah 4, this week chapter 2. So thanks for bearing with me getting COVID. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm just going to give a little bit of a recap on, on where we're at, right? So first, why are we even reading the book of Nehemiah? Like, who cares about this dude who was a Jewish slave in the Persian Empire 2,500 years ago? You know, like, what, what relevance does that have for, for our lives today, right? Well... Basically, it is a book that talks a lot about things that are relevant for you and me, right? It talks about purpose in life, which is what we're talking about today, overcoming challenges and opposition and conflict, which is what Isaac talked about last week. It talks about justice and oppression, which is what Maddie's going to be talking about in a few weeks, I think next week. Um, and then it also talks about generosity, celebration, failure, resolve to do better, more failure. And spoiler alert, the book ends on a failure. It ends on a low note. And so it's a real book. It's not like, oh, everything's great. It's like, no, we fail and we think we're going to do better and then we're still people and we still fail. And so for that reason, the book of Nehemiah really is just a powerful reminder that broken people really need a good God. And so that is why we're looking at the book as a whole, right? But what about where we're at in the story as far as getting into chapter 2? of Nehemiah, right? So we learned from Drake a few weeks ago when he was teaching on Nehemiah chapter one, that Nehemiah had a burden from God and that God had given him that burden to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed when the Jews had been taken into exile about 70 years earlier. We also learned that before um, Nehemiah was going to go back to Jerusalem, we learned that he had um, heard this news from Jews who had already gone back to Jerusalem, right? And that the news uh, that they shared was that they had successfully rebuilt the temple and they had successfully returned there. And so a question you might be asking yourself is, well, wait, I thought like the temple, wasn't that like the center of Jewish worship? Like, wasn't that the big deal? Like, who really cares if the walls around the city are rebuilt? You know, why does that matter? And so the, the analogy that I came up with to kind of describe this is, right, like imagine if you're a king, right, and you're wearing a crown, and somebody just comes by, totally disrespects you, knocks the crown off, it's in the dirt, the crown jewel pops out, jewel's in the dirt, it's all in the ground, right? And then someone says, oh, I'm going to come back and restore your honor, and they pick up the crown jewel and they just set it on your head. You'd kind of look really stupid, right, because you just have a jewel on your head that's covered in dirt. And so in the same way, the crown jewel of Jerusalem was the temple, and that had been rebuilt, right? But the crown as a whole was the city as a whole. It was the city of God, right? Not just the temple of God, but the city of God. It was very significant to Jewish worship. And so it really mattered that they could rebuild the walls, both for worship and then also just practically speaking to defend themselves for future attack um, and future invasion. And so that's what we learned. That's where we're at this week. And we learned specifically at the very end of chapter one that Nehemiah was so burdened by this desire to go back to Jerusalem that he had spent all this time in prayer um, so that he could go before the king of Persia who he was in exile with and so that he could um, go back to Jerusalem. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in chapter two, verse one. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, he was the king of Persia, when wine was before him, 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so the first thing I want us to notice, right, it says here, the month of Nisan, chapter one, it says the month of Chislev. Now I am not familiar with the Hebrew calendar, but Google is. And when you look it up, it says that's four months time. So we know that Nehemiah was praying for four months about this opportunity before it actually came to pass. So you know it was really something that was really strongly on his heart. We're not actually told what happened in those four months, but it seems pretty safe to assume that he was just praying during that entire time, right? Um, We also know that part of the reason that Nehemiah had to wait that long is because his job as cupbearer to the king, it wasn't like his nine to five job, right? It was actually like a honorable position that he had, and he only did it at certain festivals, certain parties, certain special occasions, right? And so um, it was the winter time when he first started praying, when he first got the news about Jerusalem. And so he had to wait until the springtime, until the king started throwing parties again before he would actually be able to uh, go before the king. So let's see what happens next. He goes up to the king, and the king says to him, Why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And so you can see, right, that Nehemiah was clearly a changed man from these four months of praying because the king noticed, right? And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really expect a king who has, you know, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of slaves to like care or notice anything about any one particular Um, of his slaves, right? And so the king put Nehemiah on the spot, says, why are you sad? And Nehemiah said that he was super afraid, right? Why was he afraid? I think four different reasons, right? So first, the king wasn't happy that Nehemiah was killing the vibe at his party. (laughs) He's got all of his uh, royal subjects there, all of his friends, right? And the last thing that he needs is his cupbearer, kind of his right-hand servant, if you will, just kind of dragging his feet bringing down the vibe of the party. So that was one reason he was afraid. Second reason is that Nehemiah was afraid of losing his honorable job. So like I said, right, he was a slave in a foreign country and the king had his pick, right? So Nehemiah could have just easily been replaced by anybody else. Third, Nehemiah was afraid because the king might literally kill him. If you go to work and you have a bad attitude, you're having a sad day, your boss is not gonna be able to kill you. But the king could have easily done that because, like I said, he had plenty of others who could take Nehemiah's place. But I think, most importantly, the fourth reason that Nehemiah was afraid was that he had prayed for four months about this moment and had finally arrived. It's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. Trust me, I've been preparing this sermon for a few months. (laughs) And so... um, Yeah, I think what's really amazing about all of this is that even though Nehemiah had all this time to plan, we see that his first response was to pray again, right before. So he prayed for four months, and then it says right before he talked to the king, I prayed to the God of heaven again. So it was so clear. This isn't just a slogan that City Church uses, right? This is actually something that we take from the example of those who have gone before us. And so that's just my first takeaway for us this morning is really, like as we examine our lives, 
Is prayer our first response and not our last resort? Would our prayer lives be marked by patient endurance? Like, is there anything that we pray for for months on end, just like Nehemiah did? So that's, um, that's how Nehemiah prayed. Secondly, what we're gonna see next is what he said to the king after he prayed. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Next slide. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the walls of the city, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, because, don't miss this, the good hand of my God was upon me. And so, out of everything that we're going to be talking about today, this is the centerpiece. This is the main point. The good hand of my God was upon me. God's hand of blessing was upon Nehemiah, upon what he was trying to do. And that gave Nehemiah confidence to pursue the vision that God had given him, even though he was bound to face lots of obstacles. And so, in the same way, next slide, we, you and I, can have confidence in God's providence. And I just have to throw in just how kind of funny this is for me. This is the main point of what I'm teaching on, right? And I was supposed to do it two weeks ago, right? And I wake up morning of when I'm supposed to be giving this sermon, and in God's providence, I have COVID. <laughs> so I just, I just think that that's, that's kind of funny. and just goes to show that God has a sense of humor. So just so we're all on the same page, I'm just going to give us a little bit of a definition of providence um, and, and what that means, and then we'll, we'll keep going from there. So I'm taking this definition from the Apostle Paul because I feel like he'd give a better definition than I could. So this is from Ephesians 1, and it says, God is he who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So pretty simple, pretty standard definition, right? That's what it means for God to be God. He does what he wants to do and Nobody can stop him because he's God, right? But my, my claim that the main point of this, this chapter is that we should have confidence in God's providence, right? Well, why should we have confidence in that? I mean, isn't that just basically saying like, what will be will be like the universe is the universe, like whatever? Well, I think the reason that we can have confidence in God being God and God having power and authority is because as followers of Jesus, we know that God's will towards us is good. So we see this in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we see that God's will towards us is good, and so we can trust him. Additionally, we know that God keeps his promises. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that have not yet been done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, right? His purposes, he accomplishes. And so God's will is good and he accomplishes his purposes. 
And because of that, you and I can have confidence as we follow God, as we pursue him, that if we're following him and we're trying to do anything that is in line with his purposes, that he will bless it. And that's exactly what we see Nehemiah doing, right? Even though he didn't have all the promises that you and I have access to today because Jesus hadn't come yet, he was faithful to pursue the promises that he did have, that he did have access to. For example, this promise from the prophet Jeremiah. Next slide. Prophet Jeremiah gave this prophecy 70 years before Nehemiah came on the scene. It says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. This is God speaking. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise to bring you back to this place, this place being Jerusalem. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Next slide, yeah. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And so Nehemiah knew this promise, right? And he also could do math. So he knew that it had been about 70 years <laughs> since they had gone into exile, right? And so I think one thing that was on Nehemiah's heart, on his mind, was I know God is going to use somebody to bring about this promise. Why not me? Why not me? And because Nehemiah knew God's purposes, it allowed him to find his purpose within those purposes. And so a question that you, know, you might be asking yourself this morning is, well, do I have a purpose that fits in with God's purposes? Or what does it look like for me to live out my life in alignment with God's purposes? And so with the rest of our time together, we're just going to look at four things that flow from Nehemiah's confidence in God's providence, four things that will show us um, how we can align our lives with God's purposes. And those four things, I think I have a slide on it. Yeah, four things are be bold, work diligently, encourage others, and stand firm despite opposition. So when we have confidence in God's providence, we can do those four things. So first, be bold. That's what we just read about, right? That's what we just heard Nehemiah doing. He went before the king and he asked him for all of these crazy things. I mean, think about this, right? He asked the king for permission to travel a thousand miles away for 10 years. He asked the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that the king's predecessors had just finished touring down. Like they had been at war for hundreds of years trying to conquer Jerusalem. They finally did, finally burned it down. And then Nehemiah asked like, hey, that city you've been at war with for like 600 years, let me go back and rebuild it, <laughs> right? Third, he asked the king to put his own reputation on the line to make it happen. He gave, he asked the king to give him letters to give to all of the other territories that he was gonna pass through. So it wasn't just like, let me go rebuild. It was like, you need to put your own reputation on the line to make it happen. And then as if all of that wasn't enough, he literally asked the king to pay for all of it, to finance the whole thing. So, I mean, like, imagine this, right? Imagine you going to your boss and saying, hey, that company that, like, we've been competing with for so long that we just bought, that we just took over, actually, I want you to sell the company and I want you to pay me to go to their previous headquarters and I want you to pay me for the next 10 years to work for them. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't happen, right? <laughs> and yet, it did happen in this case, right? Because God's good hand 
was upon Nehemiah. And so because Nehemiah knew his place in God's story, or because he knew God's story, he was able to find his place within God's story, within his purposes, right? And so that's a question that I have for all of us, right? Do you know your place within God's story? Do you know that before God wants anything from you, he just wants you? He wants you. He wants your whole heart. He wants you to live your life in a relationship with him. And then out of that relationship, he simply invites you to share that same joy that he's given you with others in word and deed. And then second, within God's story, what burden has God given you? The burden that he gave Nehemiah was to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. But for you, what burden has God given you? And God loves to use you specifically, right? So like your upbringing, your experience, maybe your personality, your bent towards or away from taking risks, right? All of those things he wants to use to accomplish something through your life that only you can do. So I just encourage all of us to think about that. What has God put on your heart to do for him? Now, the next section of this text is super dense, so I'm just not actually going to read it. I'm just going to give you guys a summary. Basically, Nehemiah, he gets to Jerusalem after traveling a thousand miles, right? He finally gets there, and he stays up all night, pulls an all-nighter, takes a few people with him. He walks around the entire city, meticulously inspecting all the walls. And I encourage you guys to read it. It's, it's, you know, it's interesting. It just talks about all the different entrances to the city, right? So that's what he does. So a question that I have as I'm reading that, right, is like, if Nehemiah knows that God is calling him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then why is he taking all this time to inspect the walls, right? Like, wouldn't it be more, like, full of faith if he just started rebuilding right away? Like, he knows God's calling him to do it, right? Well, I don't think so, because I think that when we have confidence in God's providence, it leads to us actually being diligent, not arrogant, right? And so he inspects the walls not because he's unsure, that God is calling him to rebuild, but because he is sure and because he wants to be sure that he has the resources to finish what he starts. This is something that Jesus talks about too in uh, Luke chapter 14. He says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not being able to finish. And so in the same way, Nehemiah would be foolish if he tried to start building the walls and didn't know if he was actually able to finish. So when I think about applying this principle for you and me, right, what, what came to mind over and over again was this idea that for you and I to work with diligence, we need to work with focus. And for us to work with focus, we need to not be distracted. And I feel like this cultural moment that we're in is like the most distracted time that we've ever like lived in as, as humanity, right? I think the average person spends like four hours a day on their phone, might be more like eight hours if you're like under the age of 20. Um, but it's, it's, it's really a really distracted culture. And so for us to be able to hear from God, we need to not be hearing from other voices at the same time. We need to have a set apart time where we can hear from him. Additionally, we also need to be able to say no to things that God is not calling us to do so that we can say yes to what he is calling us to do. And um, I think uh, that's just really important to recognize, right? Um, when, when we think about Nehemiah, right, and his life, he was saying no to a lot of things to be able to say yes 
to going to Jerusalem. Like, think about it. All the relationships that he had, all of the friends that he had, being the cupbearer to the king, he was saying no to all of those things so that he could say yes to what God was calling him to do, right? And so this invitation from God to join in the work that he's already doing is an invitation that we can extend to others. And Nehemiah, he invited others to join with him in the work. And here at City Church, we also invite each other to join in the work that God is doing in and through our church. And so that's what we're going to see in this next section here. Nehemiah said to them, to them being all the other Jews who were with him in Jerusalem, he says, you see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision or shame. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, right? The good hand of God upon him. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said in response, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So we see, right, confidence in God is contagious. When you have it, you're naturally going to lead and bring other people along with you. So notice this is like leadership 101. When Nehemiah is talking to them about building the walls, he doesn't say, hey, you guys, go build the walls, right? He says, let us build the walls, right? He doesn't tell them to go somewhere that he himself is unwilling to go. And you see their response to that, right? Let us rise up and build. And so that's really important. That's what I want us to take away from this section of the chapter is that Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the walls of Jerusalem alone. And in the same way, City Church will never be all that God wants it to be in Boulder alone. Every single person who calls City Church home has a part to play and it's a unique part to play. As a church, one of the things that we value is consistent transparency. We always share that. And so if there's something that God is putting on your heart that you feel like we could do better, we're like totally open to that. We want to do better. We value that kind of feedback. And maybe, just maybe, God is putting that particular thing that you're noticing on your heart because just like Nehemiah, he wants to use you to bring about that change in the church. And as we do this, right, as we seek to follow God, as we seek to grow, inevitably there's going to be conflict and difficulty, and that's where this chapter closes for today. And I'm just going to really breeze through it because um, Isaac gave a great sermon last week on chapter 4, which is like all about conflict. So I'm, I'm going to breeze through it really quickly. But it's, this is it. It says, Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshub the Arab, when they heard of it, when they heard that we were rebuilding the walls, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And so notice, right? Notice how Nehemiah responds to this opposition. He says the God of heaven will make us prosper, right? That's pretty bold. Like how does, how does he know that, right? That's, that's a confidence that he has, that God is calling him to do this, that no matter what opposition he faces, he, God will make them prosper. And so for you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, as you seek to follow Jesus, this is a confidence that you need as well, that I need as well, because it is really hard to follow Jesus for a lifetime. And so we need to know when things get really difficult that God is in control 
and that he will give us the strength that we need to continue to fight on through all of our, our defeats until we get to the finish line. And that's the confidence that Nehemiah has when he says God will make us prosper. So as we close, I'm just gonna invite Kari up to play the keys. And as she comes up, just a few things that I want us all to take away from this message. So first, like I said, I want everyone to take away a confidence in God's providence, confidence that God is in control, that as you look at the world and you see all this brokenness, all this darkness, all this hopelessness, that God is still in control, that he's doing something, that we can have faith and confidence in him. Second, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, my invitation to you is to just think through what is God calling you to do with your life? Maybe it's what you're already doing or maybe you know that he's calling you to do something different. I think what's amazing about Nehemiah's story is that God very clearly uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And so whatever that looks like for you, I mean, I have a list here of things that I wrote down, but like maybe God is putting clean water on your heart. Maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's starting a church. Maybe it's a total career change from what you're doing, or maybe it's just being faithful where you are. But regardless, if, you, um, if you're a follower of Jesus, what I encourage you to do is um, on Monday morning, we always talk about that, like it's, it's Sunday, right? But like, what does this mean for me on Monday morning? On Monday morning, what I encourage you to do is to share your burden, share your calling with somebody who can help you take your next step towards realizing um, your calling. And then specifically, if you're here this morning and you call City Church home, I just want to repeat the uh, invitation that I already gave, which is just, how would God use you to contribute to the growth and development of the church? We're totally open to feedback and improvement and being more like Jesus. And then finally, this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, my invitation to you is from Isaiah 45. And it says this, this is God speaking. He says, turn to me, and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there's no other. And I just want you to see this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that if you're here in Boulder, or if you're watching online, you're within all the ends of the earth. And so this promise is available to you because you're within all the ends of the earth. I also want you to see that this promise requires something of you to obtain it, and it requires nothing of you to obtain it. It requires nothing of you in the simple sense that like Drake said, like we always say, everything that needed to be done for you to be reconciled in your relationship with God, for God to save you and set you free, give you new life, make you a new creation, everything from start to finish has already been accomplished by Jesus on your behalf. So in that sense, there's nothing required of you. But as you see from this verse, there is one thing required of you. It's the first word. It says turn. And we love to talk about that. It, it could also be translated as, as repent, right? But really what it means is just to change your mind or to make a decision. And so this love is available to you, but if you don't make a decision to receive it, that's all it will ever be, available. But it won't change your life. And so my invitation to you this morning, if you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, is to simply open your hand and receive what God has done for you. And finally, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't feel like you can make that decision this morning, that's okay. My invitation to you this morning is to make whatever step you feel like you can this morning. And so maybe that's just praying for the very first time, like just saying that you believe in God, just talking to him, or taking a burden that you have, something that you haven't, um, that you've been carrying for a long time, like grief or loss, just taking that to God, you know? Um, Maybe um, you consider yourself a skeptic this morning. You're like, I don't even know if I believe that a resurrection is possible. I don't even know if I believe any of that, right? I just want to encourage you that that was the place that I found myself in eight years ago. And my encouragement to you, if you would consider yourself a skeptic this morning, if you can, if you feel like you're able to, is to just pray this super simple prayer like, God, if you're real, I want to know that you're real. That's it. Because I know so many people who've prayed that prayer and have had it answered. So I encourage you, if you feel that way, just to pray that. And if you do feel like you're able to give your life to Jesus this morning, you do it very simply by an act of the will in your own heart, in just the quietness of your own heart. And it's so simple. All you have to do is just say to God, God, I know that there is no other. I know that I'm not perfect, but I know that Jesus was on my behalf. And so I commit my life to following him today. And if you pray anything like that in your heart this morning, then we want you to know that heaven rejoices with you, and so do we. And so, just to close our time, just invite everyone to bow their heads with me. And as you do, I'm just going to create a space of just 10, 20 seconds just for you to reflect quietly on what you feel like God is putting on your heart to do in response. Just 10, 20 seconds, and then I'm going to pray for us and we're going to take communion. So God, we are, we are grateful that we get to be your children, that we get to know you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our midst. Thank you that in you, we can have purpose that can never be taken away from us. Thank you that when we follow you, we know that through all the good and the bad, that you have a purpose that you're bringing about. And that even if we can't see it right now, that we can confidently wait for you and know that you will be there at the end and that we will understand 